My name is JD, one of the pastors here. If you're new with us this morning, hope you found someone uh, to talk with and they were nice, hopefully, not too mean or snarky. Uh, as, as you all know, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and as most of you know, I'm a Packers fan. So, you know, I'm learning not to mention them in sermons before they play in big games. I, uh, in preparation for this sermon series we are starting today, Success and Security, was kind of pulling the audience a little bit and asked the Facebook and Twitter world uh, the same question you maybe just discussed in your community time. And a really good friend of mine uh, sent me this picture. It said hashtag success. So I'm looking for new friends, if any of you need a friend out there. No. Uh, we're, we are starting a new series uh, today uh, called Success and Security. Uh, before we jump into this, let's go ahead and pray and welcome God into the space as we approach Scripture together and ask questions, sit in some tension probably a little bit, and let God uh, hopefully transform our lives in this process together. So let's pray. God, thank you for being with us here in this space. Um, God, we view this space as a gift. We think it's a privilege to be here in this public space. Uh, we thank you, or we th we're thankful for the gratitude of this school to let us be here. Um, we ask, God, that your presence would remain this week uh, as kids are learning, uh, as teachers are teaching. God, would you be with them? Would you bring your peace and shalom here in this space so that uh, children can learn and grow? God, we also ask for your presence to continue with us this morning as we ask questions, as we wonder, as we look uh, at you, Jesus, and the life that you lived, um, would you teach us? Would you uh, help us to experience your love? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, we just concluded this sermon series, Mission Priorities, that Michael was talking about, where we're focusing on these four different things this year. And the plan for us is throughout the year to take a, a couple different series or sermon series on each of these priorities to kind of dig in a little bit deeper on them. And uh, as Michael mentioned, one of those priorities is God at work or uh, what we're calling vocational stewardship year, this uh, vocational stewardship as a focus this year. So for us as a community, that's meant what does it look like for us to participate with God in our vocations and our work? And uh, wrapped up in these vocational questions often are these ideas of success and security. And uh, if you look at this sermon series slide, it's a little flashy. Uh, we're trying to be a little bit on the nose with it, a little pro provocative. You maybe walked in here today and you're like, wow, success and security, and you immediately got defensive about the conversation that was about to happen. Uh, and we're trying to, to provoke that a little bit because we're trying to get at a little bit some of the emotions and anxieties that exist within these two terms and these two questions. So we have a couple sentences that kind of give us a picture of what we're going to talk about the next few weeks that I just want to read to you to, to share what, what we're meaning by entering into this conversation, success and security. Many of us want to be successful. We want to feel secure. Yet we often, often find ourselves struggling to feel like we have achieved success or attained security. Jesus consistently redefines 
success and security by inviting people to question what matters most in their lives. So that's a little slice of what we're going to do for the next four weeks. We're going to kind of have this conversation, and I, I feel anxious even introducing this conversation to you, and I know that there's a lot of anxiety that comes up when we start having conversations about success and security, and many of you, I'm sure in your own stories, have felt burdened by what that that storyline of success means in our own context and society. Some of you have chosen to reject it, and that sort of rejection brings its own insecurities with it. So what I hope to do this morning is just start this conversation. And so this morning is going to be more about raising questions than giving answers. So I just want to prepare you for that. We're going to sit with some questions these next four months and ask ourselves in the light of vocational stewardship what it means for us to steward the gifts that God's given us. How does Jesus question what matters most in our lives? How does Jesus help us redefine what success and security look like for us? So a lot of these conversations can be super conceptual and up here, but I thought we'd just start with a practice by opening our hands and taking a couple deep breaths because of how anxious this conversation can be sometimes. And I don't know what you're carrying into these next four weeks, what the story uh, that these words evoke in you are, but let's lay that down before Jesus right now and, and, and trust him that there's something to learn to be uh, transformed by. So let me pray. Jesus, we're here, as we said, in your presence to learn from you. We bring our, our story, our, our struggles, our anxieties to this conversation, God, and we ask, God, that you would teach us something new, that we'd be able to hear your gracious voice, that the voices of judgment would be quieted in our minds and our hearts, um, and that you would heal if you need to heal, you would provoke if you need to provoke. Holy Spirit, have your reign in our hearts as we have this conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, part of, or most of what I want to do this morning is sit in a text that will kind of uh, set this series up for us, and that text is Mark 10, 17 through 23. Now, let me give you a little backdrop of what's going on in this text before we jump there. So this is Mark's gospel, and a lot of what's happening in the context of Jesus' story in the gospel here is there's tons of anticipation for what the Messiah would be like. And that term Messiah is people, the Jewish people were waiting for someone to come who would change everything. Their political situation, their economic situation, that would usher in a new kingdom, a new way of being God's people. And people had really distinct views on what that was going to look like. And so as we read this story today, maybe consider that storyline in the background that people are anticipating this Jesus, if he is the Messiah, to do something radically different, and they want to be a part of that movement. Also, this is really interesting that this text today comes right after the text we read last week. So Michael's sermon on engaging with the marginalized, where he read the text where the little children come to Jesus, and he said that it's important for us to be with those who are unimportant, who may not have power. This text comes immediately after that. Our Bible that we read today often breaks things up in sections that are helpful sometimes and not so helpful because you think it's the start of a new story. But this is a concurrent story from what we discussed last week. So... Uh, Jesus has just gotten done addressing and 
proclaiming the importance of those who seemingly maybe don't have success or security in their life. And then this happens. Let's read in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father, father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had a great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's a heavy text. This text has uh, sat in my spirit for years and been turning and turning and turning over and over again. And I've wondered, what is Jesus saying here? What can he be teaching us here in the 21st century as we're trying to live this out? And I think there's been probably some mistakes made jumping uh, too quickly between this context and our context today. This Scripture has been used in some not-so-helpful ways. It, at a surface level, it may sound like admittance to the Christian community means divesting oneself of everything they have, and I don't think that's Jesus' intention here. But I think it's also intended to be provocative. It's intended for us to sit with in this tension and wonder what the values Jesus is trying to bring to the surface are in this conversation with this uh, as he is called in other texts, the rich young ruler. So what I want to do this morning is sit in this text a little bit, give you a few insights to the text, and then and instead of having answers to questions, maybe more so having what sort of questions is Jesus inviting us to ask as we look at this text. So a, things, a few things to point out about this text. The first I already alluded to, that you, you need to understand the contrast of what's happening here. He just welcomes little children to himself and says the kingdom of God is theirs. And then this rich young ruler, like the Mark Zuckerberg of the day, comes running to him and gets on his knees, the same height as a child, a child would be. So in some sense, he's already embodying what Jesus invites us to embody. Another thing to notice is that this whole language about uh, calling Jesus good and Jesus kind of giving a little rebuttal about saying only God is good and he doesn't deny that he's God, he's just saying God is good. And that language is really about religious success. Here's a rich young ruler coming to a successful rabbi and saying, good rabbi. And Jesus kind of like responds to that by uh, like, asking him to take on a different perspective. And really what's happening here, as I alluded to earlier, that people, as Jesus is, is gaining momentum, are asking the question, how do I get in this guy's movement? If he really is the Messiah, if he's really 
ushering a new way of being a Jew into existence? How do I get on his team? What do I have to do to be in his good graces? And probably what's going on here, this, this man who's used to getting what he wants, used to having positions of power and knowing how to get what he wants, comes to Jesus and basically asks, how can I have a place in your movement? And then there's this language of eternal life, and usually when we read that, because of what the church has talked about that eternal life being for centuries, we think he's asking, how do I get into heaven? And that's not necessarily what this man is asking. This, ask, this man is asking more the questions that I just uh, uh, referenced. How do I be a part of what you're doing? How do I experience true life in the reality that you're about to bring about Jesus? Essentially, in a nutshell, in kind of a big picture way, he's asking, what does success look like in your movement, Jesus? And Jesus' response to this is really interesting. He goes right away to the Ten Commandments, doesn't he? And he starts rattling off things that are in the Old Testament that would have been very well known to every uh, Jew that would have come up and asked him about it. But if you look closer, he leaves out some of the Ten Commandments. He leaves out one through four, and then 10. And the most important ones he leaves out are the Shema, or the the kind of title to the Old Testament, where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's really interesting that he leaves that out in his response to the rich young ruler. And, And his challenge to the rich young ruler is really, in a sense, a way of elaborating on the absence of those commandments in his first statement. So Jesus is elevating to the surface what matters most by the way he's responding to this guy by saying, uh, without saying it, do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart? Is there, does he take the highest place in your desires? And are you loving your neighbor as yourself? The absence of those things in Jesus's response are the real question that he's asking in some sense. And then he levels this somewhat ridiculous really hard challenge to this man to sell everything and follow him. And, and it would have shocked everyone there just as much as it shocks us when we read it. Like this isn't things rabbis do, say sell everything and then come follow me. Jesus is being uh, hyperbolic maybe in a sense or overly challenging to make a point. And so I, I said that this raises more questions than it does answers. And so I have a few questions that I think this raises for us. The first of which that I think it raises in this story is, does what we have, have us? I think Jesus, in some sense, by challenging this man with this high challenges, he's saying, does what you possess, possess you? And I think that really cuts the heart of what Jesus is saying here, because Jesus is not so much condemning wealth of people. He's not so concerned about how much people have. He's concerned about whether what they have has them. He's more concerned about people's relationship to their wealth than the fact that they have wealth in itself. So societal markers of success, wealth, money, status, have literal, little or no value in and of themselves in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' perspective, they're only instruments to be submitted to that first commandment of loving our Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. It, when I think about success and I think about this rich young ruler, it, it's true that success brings anxiety and tension to our lives. 
When we have a lot of stuff, when we have success, it's new tension and new pressures and new responsibilities. And those anxieties and responsibilities and possessions can shape who we're becoming, can shape who we are. And Jesus knows very clearly that that's happening. And so in some sense, Jesus is asking this young man who has a lot, who has a lot of privilege and power, he's asking him, what is your relationship to anxiety? Who are you being shaped by or what are you being shaped by? So a question that I think we have to sit with over these next four weeks is, do what we, does what we have have us? Can I share a traumatic story from Sunday school experience with you all? So I, I don't know how old I was, like eight or something like that, and I walked into our Sunday school classroom. I actually grew up in a church that met in a school as well. I walked into the classroom, and there was two jars on the table, and they were full of shiny quarters. And my eight-year-old self is like, I could buy so much pop with that. So I got excited, uh, initially hoping that I would be able to go home with some of those quarters. And sure enough, about halfway through the lesson, the teacher said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stick both your hand in, hands in these jars and grab as many quarters as you can. And I was like, this is the best. So I stuck my hand in those jars and I grabbed as much as I possibly could and then it became really clear what the lesson was. And I sat there and I'm like, oh no, I can't get my hands out of this jar. And then, this, like don't do this Minnie and Mighty Mills team members. This is not like training for Minnie or Mighty Mills. The teacher pulls out a Snickers bar and is like, would you like this? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And she's like, you're going to have to let go of those quarters. And I, did, I wasn't smart enough back then to know that the number of quarters I had in my hand could probably buy me more Snickers bars. But I was just, I remember in those moments, and I still remember it today, that obviously I could not let go of those quarters. And I think that, though it's traumatic, helpful in this situation to think about that's the ways that things in our lives, successes, possessions can grip us. And really what's happening here is Jesus is offering this man something and he, he's challenging what he's willing to let go of, him, of. He's challenging what's holding on to him. Like those quarters in a sense were holding on to me. So I think the second thought that we can bring into this is uh, maybe success in the kingdom of God is not just what we can give, but it's about what we can receive from Jesus. Ruth Haley Barton, who's, who's one of the kind of foremost spiritual directors in the U.S., and I'm paraphrasing her here, she says, you can't discern what God is doing and receive from him when you have attachments and anxiety. I think what Jesus wants to teach this young man is that he can't fully respond to what God has for him. He can't fully receive uh, the goodness of the kingdom of God if these things have a hold on his life. So it has to, ha we have to ask the question, is it harder to give or to receive? And as I was reflecting on this passage, uh, it says that he, he, his face fell and he went away sad. And I was trying to think about what made this person sad. He, he was very wealthy, but I think that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, the hard part of this wasn't the giving. I think the hard part was the life that he would have to embody uh, after the giving. This man had a lot of privilege. He could get what he wanted. 
He had conveniences. He had a lot. Many of the people in that crowd might have even been working for him or been living on lands that he owned. Can you imagine the position shift that he would have had to take? it's, It's a space of privilege to be in a position to give. It's even harder sometimes to be in a position to receive from others. And really, Jesus, the second half of Jesus' invitation to come follow him is an invitation to embody a life where you're, you're dependent on others' gifts towards you. You're dependent on receiving from the community that you're invested in. And I think when we think about this, why we're so anxious about success and security sometimes is because we don't want to be in a position where we have to receive in our lives. But Mill City, Jesus' invitation to be a part of the kingdom of God is to learn how to receive and to learn the joy that comes from a life where we can receive well. One of Michael's points last week was when we engage with the marginalized, when we try to learn with people who are, uh, from people who are on the margins, my, my experience was that is one of the things I've learned is they receive so well. I've been in so many situations where people have little, but they have so much joy. And when they receive something, they're overflowing. And I can even barely keep a smile on sometimes at Christmas time when I get a gift that's not quite right. When I'm consumed by what I possess, I'm not really good at receiving what, from, uh, receiving what God has for me. The last thing that I think should sit with us these next four weeks and this is extremely cru- crucial. It's in verse 21, it says, before Jesus gives this challenge, it says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. It's easy to skip over that part in the story, isn't it? Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Now just stop for a second and try to put yourself in the shoes of this man who's kneeling, looking at Jesus. Can you imagine what it was like to look Jesus' face to face and experience the love of Jesus through the eye contact that happened there? If you hear anything today or anything throughout this whole sermon series, uh, take that picture to heart. It's really clear that Jesus wants to have these conversations about success and security face to face. He wants to look us in the eye and tell us that he loves us that we don't have to be overcome by what we have, but that we can enter into a relationship with him. I think this image of being uh, connected with Jesus in this way is not how I normally read this text. I would fly through this text, and Jesus' character kind of takes this tone of snarky, provocative, uh, even mean and judgmental towards this rich young ruler. But that is not the posture God is taking towards this man. That is not the posture Jesus has for this man. He looks them in the eye and he loves him. We need to take that with us. So as we sit with these questions the next four months, I think it's really crucial for us to have uh, that in our mind. Um, Later on in this passage, and you may be sharing these feelings, the disciples kind of threw their hands up and were like, who in the world can be a part of what you're doing, Jesus? They said, who can enter the kingdom of God if this man, who they thought was very successful, very powerful, followed all the rules, and Jesus gives them this response. And Jesus says to them, in response to their questioning, who can be involved, he says, with man it is impossible, but with God 
everything is possible. And here Jesus' big idea comes through again, that God's relationship with us, his desire is one in which we would trust him with everything we have. And when we do that, the things that we have don't have us. I don't have a lot of practical things for you to do after this sermon. As I said, I think sitting with these questions is important. But I would like to share that I'm so encouraged by how you as a community have sat with these questions and what it's produced in your life. I know your stories. There's several stories of people turning down very lucrative positions, advancements in their career across the country and they've discerned that they don't want to go because they want to be in part, or in part because they want to be a part of what God's doing here, because they feel like God is leading them in another direction. They're willing to hold in tension God's leadership in tremendous opportunity and choose God's leadership. I, I know there's stories in this community of people who have realized that they're being possessed by their possessions, and they've given generously. And, and, and given until uh, it hurts in some cases, or, or, or looked around their, their house and said, do we need all of these TVs? Do we need all these books? Do we need all these clothes? And have blessed the community around them and their neighbors by that discernment. You've offered vehicles for free when you haven't needed it. You've offered rooms in your houses to people who need rooms and space even when it was uncomfortable and even when you weren't sure if it was going to work out or be awkward. You've lived uh, in, through seasons of need and want and embodied them with such joy and confidence and calm, showing all of us what it's like to receive when we don't have much. As I said, we have to sit with these questions, and as we do, those sort of kingdom things come out from our midst. And our community notices. Our community notices that we have a different perspective on success, a different perspective or relationship with the things that we have. And so the, the, the questions I want to leave you with are these, and I hope we can sit with these. Does what we have have us? Are we able to receive what God has for us? Can we have a conversation about success and security in our own lives face-to-face with the loving face of Jesus? I'm going to ask the band to come up at this point. This next song that they're going to lead us in uh, is a great song. It's called Broken Vessels. I think it's a great song to go out of this time reminding ourselves uh, that we are broken vessels. We need God's grace. And as Jesus concluded that passage, that when we try to do success and security on our own, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. If we're willing to trust his presence and his leadership in our lives, if we're willing to look him in the eyes and see his love and let that be the guiding thing in our decision-making, then who knows what can happen in our community. The words of the song are this. Oh, I can see you now. Oh, I can see the love in your eyes. Laying yourself down, raising this broken life. Let's sing together and worship God who's with us in these questions.
Would you stand if you're able?
I can see the light.